in a world where doctors do have borders and they can't go to less fortunate places to help the children because of the borders and people are suffering because of the doctors with borders and there's only one doctor and man who can knock down those borders for everybody I am Batman. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to Geek Film Critic. I'm Luke Jackson. I'm your host, your best friend, and your brown banana. I'm getting a little bit moldy. You better read me up. Um, it is good to be recording an episode. I have the sniffles. Um, I got a little bit sick. I've been fighting off a cold. And so I apologize, unless unless I have that that sexy cold voice that some people get, which is like gravelly, and you're listening to this, and you're like, oh, who's this guy? Then you're welcome. Um, this week we're doing Alien, which I'm really excited about because I've been itching to watch this movie for a super long time. It fits into that category of 70s, 80s horror that my mom never let me watch, and so... I've always been like really drawn to that genre because it's like it's taboo, it's forbidden in my life, you know what I mean? And so um, I've wanted to watch Alien for a good time, a good while now, and it just was never really on any of the streaming services that I subscribed to until recently. And like, what was I gonna do? Rent the movie? <laughs> no. And so it rolled up on IMDb, t- IMDb TV free with ads. Um, this last week and so my time has finally come to visit Spooky Space and so I was very excited about that and here we are talking about Alien and I'm going to throw 30 seconds on the clock and we are going to synopsi. What's the present tense of synopsis? Synopify. That's it. Don't look it up. And begin. Alien is uh, a spooky space movie where a crew of seven um, individuals wake up early from hyper sleep and get a distress call and it's from a from a planet and they investigate the planet and turns out there's an alien that gets on board and is hunting them and they are trying to eradicate the alien on board before the alien eradicates them and there's also a kitty cat and that is 30 seconds on the dot i stopped it at 2975 uh, yeah it's not bad and so, uh, yeah, that's Alien. Um, if you haven't seen it, very much recommend. Go check it out. Again, you can watch it for free. There are ads, but if you have a, if you have a new MacBook and you get the little scroll bar, this is what I learned. Don't tell. Don't tell on me. There's a little scroll bar on uh, the new MacBooks on, I don't know what you call this, the touch bar on the pad. When you're playing a video, there's a scroll bar, and you can just scroll through the ads so you don't even need to watch them. And so uh, now we're going to talk about some of those sweet, sweet gold good nuggets in Alien because I, I really was blown away. I really loved this movie. Um, for me, one of the biggest reasons why I loved it was the pacing. It was huge for me. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I loved it. We open. It opens with a very like it's it's this movie is definitely inspired by Star Wars. It's a horror movie in space, and it's like the first one that kind of did this. I believe I could be very wrong. So don't quote me on that, but the Star Wars influence is very, very present. Like, it opens with the same shot of a spaceship in space, 
kind of going over the camera the same way that the original Star Wars A New Hope does. Anyways, but then from this, we get our these establishing shots that are these very slow and smooth tracking shots through the halls of this ship, which is called the Nostromo. And it's like very quiet and the score is eerie. And I was genuinely terrified and gripped from the very beginning. These opening shots are so tension building and such a great way to set the tone for what this movie is going to be because the movie itself is is relatively slow and we're going to get into this a little bit in a minute like it it doesn't pick up quickly it's definitely a slow burn and so these opening shots set the mood perfectly because they are slow and there are these two moments in these opening shots which are pretty like i think there's probably a few minutes three four minutes of these slow shots establishing that this ship is empty and it's dark and it's creepy and so during this, the computer beeps and like an airlock opens, and both times these noises are and these movements are quick, which is very which contrasts to the slow shot and the quiet ship very heavily. And so both of these times, like they totally made me jump because I was I was expecting something to pop out because it was just spooky. And I and as much as I know about this movie and it's a classic and it's famous, I've never seen it, and I'm kind of going in blind. I've seen very little clips from the movie. And so I did not, was not expecting <laughs> it to start so quiet. And so I was totally hooked. I thought it was brilliant. And just to touch on this kind of, again, this slow, smooth tracking at the very end of the movie, when it's just Ripley and the aliens killed everybody else. And it's just Ripley and she's running through the ship trying to get to the escape pod with the cat. We get these long tracking shots again, except this time they're not smooth. They're loud and they're shaky, and they're handheld, and anyway, so the cinematography, especially in these two moments, I thought was beautiful, it contrasted it brilliantly, it was, it was very, very smart to kind of mirror the beginning and the end this way of, we're moving through this spaceship, but with very different tones, um, and so back to, back to the pacing and the tension even though the real action and horror in this movie doesn't start until halfway through, so kind of like I mentioned, it is slow. And the alien doesn't even make an appearance until about 30 minutes in, and then it's about probably 45 minutes to an hour in when the hunt really begins and, and crap really starts to hit the fan. But regardless of this, the atmosphere and the pacing, I was dripping with anticipation. I was so hooked and I was so gripped and waiting for something to happen which i thought it did it brilliantly it's not a particularly scary movie i think it, i think it definitely fits into the horror genre just because of the subject matter but it's not particularly spooky but also that could just be me because i'm a lot more scared of you know demons and ghosts than i am of aliens so that that might just be me but i, I you know i didn't find it particularly scary but i did find it very very tense and it gave me anxiety and i and i i do really like when movies can do that well is build that tension. And so, you know, what went along with this pacing and this atmosphere that was very creepy was very impressive writing and uh, acting and performances from the cast. It, it's very human. And, you know, the writing aided this, but at the same time, a lot of the conversations that the actors had in the movie was improvisational. And I also think Ridley Scott is very, very good at eliciting natural performances from his actors. And he's kind of uh, notorious for doing very, very little takes. 
he'll do one or two takes and he moves on. He just likes to be quick about it. And so I think because there's just this expectation of doing a good job and you're not going to get 40 takes at a shot, I just think that it just is this atmosphere of professionalism and naturalism where it's just like, okay, well, let's just hang out. Let's just do this. And it, it comes through very beautifully in both the light and heavy scenes with where this human element just comes through and it, it attaches us to the characters, even though we don't know very much about them. But I, I totally, and I, I just really loved and appreciated how these moments were built with the writing and the acting. You know, we have like very, very simple scenes where like the, the crew, and there's only seven of them, I believe, six of them maybe, and the crew, where they wake up and they're at the di- like at the table and they're talking and they're shooting the crap and they're smoking cigars and they're like, man, I was tired, I need some food. And it's just like very natural, very real and not important. Like what they're talking about isn't going to lead to the greater narrative of the film. It's just kind of back and forth. Um, banter and it's very very well done and then along with this the heavy scenes as well which is where the writing really comes in is there's this there's this political element of the politics of the ship and these different roles that these different people have and how these two kind of maintenance workers aren't getting paid as much and how there's the scientist who has this very weird jurisdiction over everybody even though he's not the captain and so like and then there's also like a little bit of sexism with Ripley where Ripley's kind of looked down upon because she's a woman and they're like, you can't do this. And so like this these, this political atmosphere of just the ship and the, and the interaction and the interpersonal uh, relationships between these characters is so, so well done. And it is just brilliant. And, I, you know, there's one scene where Ripley confronts Ash because Ash um, breaks quarantine protocols to let um Kane in with the face hugger when the aliens on him and she's like I'm not going to let you in you need to be quarantined for 24 hours and he breaks protocol and lets them in and so she goes and confronts him and is like you're not second in command I am you need to respect my authority and it's just like the scene it's so well written so well performed and it just makes this it's very human and you know it made me feel like oh wow this is going to make me re- really upset and <laughs> this is going to bring a lot of tension when Ripley's life is on the line because I like her character because again they just have these moments that build character in a very much like we don't know their backstory but we can tell who they are at their very core and so you know even though there's not a ton of literal action throughout the film all of these elements the writing and the atmosphere and the pacing really come together to make it feel creepy but also make it feel human the next big thing that this movie did very, very well was practical effects. was absolutely huge. i blown away. Inside the ship, there's, from what I could tell, nothing is CGI. Nothing is green screen. Everything is practical. Which just, again, brings this very, very um, good sense of dedication to the film. And this is a... It feels passionate, right? They, they're working hard. And there's something... I don't know. I think I'm just also a sucker for practical effects. Like in the original Star Wars... There's a lot of practical effects as well. And so when sci-fi movies go out of their way to make things look, to, to, to explore the space, that's a pun, but to explore the space and use practical effects instead of relying on CGI, I'm, oh, I always really appreciate that. I, really, I think it pays off. And I think it's why movies like this are classics is because they're practical, right? It's, it's innovative in, in a very, very interesting way. And so like... Everything is real. Like the the aliens are so p- well put together, and they made this like when they when they're on the alien planet and they find that huge dead 
alien skeleton and it's it's a different kind of alien like it's a different breed it's not the alien that's attacking on the ship but it's like this huge 60 foot statue that somebody made right it's not cgi someone made a 60 foot statue for a, a, a two minute shot and even like when the face hugger is there it's it's they're prodding it and they're poking poking it and same with like uh when they're on the alien planet and they see these eggs that open up and it's like wet and it's gooey and it's gutty and it's gross these those parts were made out of animal intestines they went to a butcher and got sheep stomach and cow intestine and they made these disgusting foul smelling props which added to again the human element of being like oh that's gross that's real it looks real because it is real right and so it was very fantastic and as well with the alien costume right it's made out of pipes and tires and they use shredded condoms to make the jaws look gooey and droopy and it's just again all practical very impressive and it was clear that the the props department really really put their heart into it and made a lot of really amazing things and they just i don't know again there's something about when directors and a crew don't rely on cgi and say we'll get it in post and we'll do it in post and that they go out of their way to make something real um also i just want to talk for a minute about the alien itself because i think that character as a villain is brilliant i think it was so smart the way that they approached it and the way that they set it up because you know how do you how do you really do an alien right or how do you do a monster movie where because a monster needs to be vulnerable it can't just be this indestructible force or else the stakes aren't really that high and it's just kind of like well everyone's just gonna die and lose but one of the things that i thought was so impressive was the acid blood right and, and, and the way that they go about it is that you're going to try to cut this face hogger off one of the the crew members named kane and as they try to cut one of the fingers of the face hugger off, it bleeds and acid drips through the entire ship. And so this alien is full with acid blood. And so they can't just shoot the thing because it's going to destroy their ship. And so they have to find unconventional ways to kill it, right? Because you can't bash its head in because there's going to be blood. You can't go at it with a knife because there's going to be blood and it's going to kill you and destroy your ship, right? So they try to use fire and they try to push it out of the ship. And so again, it just raises the stakes and, and it makes the story interesting because they have to deal with this thing in a very unconventional way. Um, Last thing that I'll talk about that I loved in this movie was, and major spoilers, was the Ash is a robot part of the scientist was a robot. It got me so damn good because from the very beginning when Ash lets Kane in with his face hugger on and uh, Ripley goes and is like, that was wild. I can't believe you broke protocol to do that. I was trying to see it from Ash's perspective being like, well, like that's a really hard decision to make because if they le if you leave these people out there in space, they'll probably die. If they quarantine out there, they're probably going to die. So you need to bring them in. But if you bring them in, everyone might die. So it's this really tough decision to make. And so I'm like, you know what? Ash maybe isn't as much of a douchebag as they're presenting it because, you know, that's not he's just, he, he professes that he was doing what was right for the crew. But then it turns out that he's a robot and his whole purpose was to get the alien specimen back to Earth and that the crew members were expendable. What mattered was the alien, not the crew. And so 
I, this when we when that was found out and the way that it like it's very subtly hinted at where he starts sweating this white liquid and this and I and I paused the movie because I was like what is that like is it is it just sweat I was confused and then bashes his head in he's a freaking alien and I was hooked I yelled I I so good such a good twist and I might just be an idiot but I was not expecting it at all especially because I was trying to so hard to see things from Ash's perspective and it could be because I'm in an, in an ethics class right now <laughs> and summer classes are wild where it's every single day so I'm constantly analyzing these ethical and moral dilemma, dilemmas and so that's probably what it was is I was like well let's try to see this from the human perspective and it turns out he's an alien and I'm the idiot and so so good and also just the whole idea of the B-plot being that this crew is designated to fail because it's a commercial ship and, and the, the company that they're working for own, cares more about the alien specimen than, than their own lives. So like they're up against this huge conglomerate, right? And it's just, again, adds this layer, which isn't really explored, but it doesn't need to be because the fact that it's there makes it brilliant. And so I'm really, really impressed with that. I could talk about this movie for a long time, as you could tell. It's been like 12 minutes of me telling, telling you how much I loved it. Um, a couple of the things that were bad, which I really had a hard time thinking of it, and I could really only come up with one thing, which I thought you know, t kind of took me out of the moment, is there's this scene where they, they discover that the alien is going through the vents, and so the captain goes in with a flamethrower to, to kill the vent, or to, to try to kill the alien in the vents. And so he's crawling through... And they're kind of cutting back and forth between like, they, they have the motion sensor and it's like, he's there, he's right behind you. And it's like, I can't see him. And so they're cutting back and forth and building this tension. And then there's this jump scare where the alien comes out. And when this happens, the alien makes this face of his like, he doesn't have eyes, but his mouth opens up and his hands go up and it's like, boo. And it was very, very corny and it made me laugh and it totally took me out of the, the moment. And you know, it's not necessarily a super bad thing, but... It's definitely one of the downsides to practical effects, especially when it was in the in the seventies in nineteen seventy nine when this movie came out. You know, it's definitely one of the downsides for music practical effects is sometimes you're gonna get this cheese, which you know again it happened in, in Nightmare of Elm Street when when we when we watched that one and there's just some cheesy practical effects that happen, but you know that's okay. It was it took me out of the moment, but. It, I, I don't know. That's the only bad thing. So if that's your biggest problem, you're not doing too bad. Um, and this this isn't necessarily bad. It was more interesting. Some things that uh, that are kind of this, these extras about Ridley Scott and kind of his um, original thoughts and direction for the movie, which were bad ideas, and I'm glad that they didn't make it in. So that's why I'm including it in the bad section. But um, the first one was Ridley originally wanted Alien to be the Alien to be sexually attracted to Ripley at the end when Ripley's she's going she's gonna go put herself in hypersleep she's in the escape pod and she's like wearing like a t-shirt and panties like she's going to sleep and the alien turns out that the alien is in the escape pod and she goes and hides in this area that's kind of like this glass area and Ridley Scott originally was like well what if the alien like sees her body becomes sexually aroused and starts touching itself <laughs> and people were like, mm, maybe not. I don't love that. And you know, I don't love that either. I'm very glad that, that wasn't in the film. Um, the other thing is that Ridley Scott originally wanted the movie to end differently, where it, it ends with Ripley kicks the alien into space and then is like, I'm going to hypersleep. I hope somebody finds me. Hopefully I don't die. And that's how the movie ends. It's very ambiguous. But he originally wanted it to end why 
the alien getting kicked out of the ship, coming back in and ripping Ripley's head off. And so he was talking on the phone to one of the Fox, or, yeah, 20th Century Fox executives about this. And on the spot, this executive was like, we're going to fire you unless you change the ending. And so they changed the ending to what it was. And and now years later, Ridley Scott does admit that, that the ending in the movie, he does prefer to his own, that they made the right call by um, filming it the way that they did. Uh, next, we're going to go to a quick review from uh, IMDb user EBM123, who gave the movie 1 out of 10. We're going to talk about that for a minute. Uh, they say, EBM says... In 2021, this movie looks too naive and too funny in places when it's supposed to be smart or scary. And even in 90s, it looked the same. And when I saw Alien in its full height with a tail, I laughed so hard. We were told that he is humanoid, right? All right, he's standing on two legs like human, but tail makes him look like a giant lizard. So I'm going to pop in here for a second because, one, we're never told that the alien is humanoid. We learn that the alien became humanoid as it goes on right he, he he pops out in the chest buster scene and and kind of like wriggles away we only see its head we don't really see if it has legs but then we grow learn that it grows legs and so i don't i think it's such a weird thing to be like he has a tail what get at it what is up with that <laughs> a tail nothing has tails that's bipedal like has this has ebm never seen a kangaroo or <laughs> like there are things with tails that are bipedal so I, and also like this thing was modeled after a lizard so yeah like i don't get what the what the issue is and why the tail is what he's like oh my god you see its tail how is that scary such a weird thing anyways ebm continues they say the life cycle of aliens is also very strange they start like insects or something but grow into a humanoid <laughs> what i cannot imagine that on any planet <laughs> ebm's out here they're saying yeah it's like you know it's an alien what's up with that <laughs> you know alien life be more normal such a weird thing to fault the movie for being the movie <laughs> he's like why isn't it like a human it's like an alien why would it grow from a like uh like an egg into like this weird snake looking thing and then to a humanoid figure i mean come on be more normal alien life ebm continues they say also there are many plot holes like why did ripley okay <laughs> i'm gonna read you as written like why did ripley took cat with herself in capsule knowing every living creature can be affected by another alien that could possibly exist and so on so this is the one that I'm really going to dig into because EBM is a damn fool. So let's take a second and use our brains here. EBM is saying, why would Ripley take the cat into the capsule? Because how does she know that the cat's not infected? Plot hole. Not a plot hole. Because listen, Ripley expresses concern of infection before anything enters the ship. They don't know the nature of this alien, how it works, right? And we learn that the alien works through the face hugger method where it injects the the egg or the fetus or whatever into the living thing's stomach cane in this chance and then we get the chest buster scene right so we learn that it's not that's how it spreads we've also seen the alien in all stages of life we see it as an egg we see it when it's in the face hugger we see it when it's in the stomach and we see it when it's presumably an adult and so 
we know that the egg exists on its own outside of human life. They don't lay eggs in your stomach. The eggs become the face hugger, which lays the puts the fetus in the stomach, right? And then the face hugger dies. So we know that to lay an egg, it doesn't need any sort of organic life to do that. So how would the cat be infected if it never had or doesn't have a face hugger? And I guess you can extrapolate and say, well, what if there's other ways the alien spreads? But if that's the logic then you're, that you're gonna take, you can also extrapolate and be like, well, why didn't they just talk to the alien? Maybe it speaks English and it's a nice guy. Why did they immediately try to kill it? Like, like so if we just stick to the logic that the movie gives us, then we know that the alien can't doesn't lay eggs inside something it lays an egg that egg jumps on something's face and then puts the baby in that thing's stomach and so regardless of this we also know, we also know that the alien is completely on survival here and also he's trying to hunt he's not trying to spread or procreate He's just trying to kill those on board. He's being territorial. He wants to survive. Right? He's running purely on survival here. He's hunting. So why would he randomly choose to lay an egg in this cat, right? When he's trying to kill everything. And so EBM needs to use their brain here and realize that this isn't a plot hole. But also, and at the same time, they are like, there's so many plot holes. Look at this one. But there's also some more that I'm not going to tell you. So I, I just think they're stupid. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Finally, EBM wraps up their maddening review by saying, sci-fi before 80s is usually not good. And this movie just proves that rule. And you know what, EBM? I gotta give it to you there. Star Wars, 2001, A Space Odyssey, and Star Trek are all trash movies, trash content. They've inspired nothing. Everything post-80s. Also, this movie came out in 1979, which is basically the 80s. <laughs> and so I don't understand, like Back to the Future came out three years later, two years later. And so, and so like Akira came out like eight years later. And so I don't know how you account this as a bad 80s movie or like a movie before the 80s when it came out at the latter end of 79. Anyways, EBM's an idiot. If you're EBM one, two, three, I'll fight you on the spot. <laughs> Next, we're gonna go guess the tagline, everyone's favorite segment. Um, and I feel like this is a tough one because I feel like I knew this one. I, 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 my guess is in, it's going to be in space. No one can hear you scream because I'm pretty sure that that's attributed to this movie. So I don't know if that's me guessing it or me existing in popular culture because this movie's been out for 40 years. Um, yeah, so that is the tagline. In space, no one can hear you scream. And it's also sometimes the scariest things come from within. That's a good one. Or it's Alien, the eighth passenger, which is also good. So, you know, I was right. Um, next, we're going to go to Geek Film Predict. We're going to bust through these real quick because I know, I know that you're, you're, you're itching to go, but you're just holding on to my every word. <laughs> and so last week, I, I predicted that In the Heights would be sitting at an 8.4. It turns out I'm not very good at this, and In the Heights is sitting at a 7.9, and it's only been out for a couple days, so that's probably going to go down when movies, are, when the first few reviews are usually the highest ones, and so um, I'll go ahead and eat a fart because I'm wrong. <laughs> and I'm also, uh, this week is, is a very slow week for movies coming out, and so I'm not going to 
I'm not going to do a prediction this week, but I'll be back next time. And that's going to do it for me today. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate if you've ever listened to the podcast. I love you. You're amazing. Um, If you want to pitch a film to me that that you want to hear me talk about, if you want to be on the show, if you have any thoughts on any of the movies, feel free to hit me up. You can send me an email, luke.jackson at thegeekwave.com. Follow me on Twitter at underscore underscore Luke Jackson. And uh, yeah, next week I'm going to be back with, uh, we're going to be doing Birds of Prey, which came out, I believe, this year, 2020, last year. And um, it's on HBO Max if you want to watch it before next time. And I'm going to leave you with the very wise words of a five-star review from Letterboxd from the user named Eric, who says, Sigourney Weaver did this for the gays. And I I use that as the final because happy Pride Month and thanks Sigourney Weaver for inspiring uh, many people in the 80s with your uh, wonderful performance in Alien. Uh, For Geek Film Critic, I'm Luke Jackson. Thanks for listening.